0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There was an older lady who prayed every day. And in her prayers, she prayed that she would win the sweepstakes at Publishers Clearinghouse. She really felt, deep down, that God would someday answer her prayer in the affirmative that she would win that sweepstakes. She wanted to win it because she wanted to give most of her winnings to her church, so that way her church would obtain a solid financial footing. But obtaining a windfall does not normally result in happiness or better living. And few, when they obtain such windfalls, give their winnings away to good causes. Who among us has not desired or daydreamed over or even coveted to obtain a large sum of money or greater possessions? Who has not prayed for financial stability or even to obtain the amount needed to pay the bills that are now due. Who has not wished for greater possessions or more material goods? These, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, are common desires. And consider the men in today's gospel who were out fishing all night, but they caught absolutely nothing. These men were not fishing for pleasure, but this was their trade, their vocation, the way in which they are able to bring food to the table to supply for their needs and for the needs of of their families. Yet, this work certainly could have brought them satisfaction. They were fishing to obtain and income. They did not have a huge savings account or a government entitlement program to back up on when the fishing would become poor. They had no insurance programs that they could lean upon. No fish likely meant that soon there would be no food on the table. Life in those days was incredibly difficult. The world, as merciless is as it is now, was even more so then. The life expectancy was short because of the hardships that abounded. Being Christian, these fishermen would have prayed. They would have prayed for a bountiful catch of fish. They likely daydreamed to catch the largest fish and the most fish of all. They probably desired to have a better living through higher prices at the market or simply by catching lots of fish to sell. Maybe then they could get that larger boat that they had desired or those stronger nets. Maybe then they could do what most could not do in those days, and that is consider retirement Maybe then they could circumvent the seemingly inevitable hostilities that they faced in their dry climate, in their Roman rule, or among the pervasive diseases. Sometimes, though, we, when we get too much of a good thing, it can become another burden in life. Those who win large sums of money tend to wreck their lives. As we obtain more possessions, more stuff, we get buried by those things. What was supposed to bring momentary pleasure now brings pressing weight and increasing anxiety. More things to put away, more stuff to find homes for. When we see the clutter surrounding us, it weighs on our emotions and it diminishes our motivation to do good. When we desire to buy that next piece of junk from the dollar store, we need to ask ourselves, will it really bring us satisfaction? We also need to ask ourselves how soon will it end up in the landfill, or if we should spend our money or donate it on something more worthwhile. These men fished all night and caught nothing. Their labor resulted in no income. It certainly would have been disappointing. But as they went to shore, they were met by a preacher. The crowd listened intently to this man. As the fishermen were washing their nets, the crowd was pressing in on this preacher, our Lord Jesus Christ, in order to hear his word. So Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon Peter's, and asked him to be put out a little from the land. And there, in Peter's boat, Jesus sits down, which was the posture of authority in those days, and Jesus preached the word of God from that boat. When Jesus had finished speaking, Jesus then instructed Simon, go out and let your nets down for a catch in the deep. Peter knew that this did not make any sense. Peter recognized that this would ordinarily be a waste of time because they had just washed their nets. The ideal time has now passed. And likely he and the other fishermen are tired and are ready to receive some rest. But Peter replies to Jesus, Master, we fished all night, we worked, we toiled all night, and we caught not a thing, but, but, at your word, I will do it. We know the miracle of miracles that happens here with this great catch of fish, but is not this also a miracle of miracles? Witnessing a man who has a human reason that is naturally set against the teachings of God, who then sets his reason aside and listens to the instruction of God. Peter is a professional fisherman. And now the son of a carpenter, who would normally have no business telling a fisherman how to do his job, is instructing Peter. But Peter knows that this son of a carpenter is no ordinary man. He knows that Jesus can perform miracles. For Peter had witnessed Jesus heal his own mother-in-law, that is, Peter's mother-in-law. And Peter, knowing the Bible, had heard how years earlier Naaman and Jeremiah and Hosea all did things that they were told, even if it made absolutely no sense to do it. So they go fishing. And suddenly they were catching so many fish that their nets are breaking. They call to the other to the others who man the other boat to come and help them. And as they pull in this giant catch of fish, they're Nets are breaking and their boats struggle to stay afloat. Suddenly, that serenity that they would have experienced in hearing Jesus preaching that word of God is changed into danger. Their lives are in jeopardy. Their boats are beginning to sink. They had too much of what they had been praying for. This was, after all, that moment that they probably had been dreaming about and praying for. Yet it is bringing about, through its abundance, trouble and danger, breaking nets, sinking boats. The abundance of their catch was proving to be not so great after all. This, my dear friends, should serve as a lesson to us. The sudden receipt of an overabundance often results in more harm than good. And let's not think that we are somehow better managers of abundance than the next person. We have all inherited the same sinful flesh. The things we desire may rule over us. Our possessions may hurt us. And they have the potential to destroy us. Remember, the devil, the world, and our own sinful natures are seeking to mislead us and deceive us into false belief and despair and other great shame and vice. Peter, upon landing this wondrous draft of fish, falls down at Jesus' knees. You would think that he would express heartfelt, even tear-filled words of thanksgiving thanking Jesus over and over and over again because his dreams have finally been met. You would think that Peter would be telling Jesus all the wonderful things that he will now do because of the abundance of material possessions he can, he can then have as he cashes in on all that fish. First, of course, he would give a tithe to the Lord. Then maybe he'd buy that bigger fishing boat. Maybe he'd use some of it to help people out who are in need. Those good works could abound. But when Peter approaches Jesus, he does none of these things. You see, in addition to the danger that Peter escaped as his boat was beginning to sink, there were two other dangers that Peter now keenly becomes aware of. The first danger is his own sin, and the second is, being a sinner, he recognizes that he is in the very presence of God. Instead of looking ahead in great anticipation over what his future would bring over his newfound wealth, Peter's sinful past is flashing through his mind. The sins of his youth, the vulgar words that have come out of his mouth, Stinginess and greed, selfishness and gluttony. The same Peter in our gospel wrote our epistle lesson. When pastors preach, they know their own flesh. They preach against the temptations of their own flesh. And perhaps Peter, even as he was guided by the Holy Spirit, when he wrote his epistle, he may have been thinking of his own flesh as he wrote those instructions of the law. Perhaps he was thinking of times when he was guilty of fostering disunity instead of unity, or when he was failing to express brotherly love or a tender heart, or when he did not have a humble mind, or when he repaid evil for evil. Peter now recognizes how could he, a poor, miserable sinner, stand in the presence of God? And how could a wretch like Peter Take such a large gift from God when Peter himself had been so poor with his Lord. How could Peter even live before God? And so, Peter, filled with fear of God and recognizing the wrath of God that should be due to him, he gets down on his knees before our Lord Jesus. And instead of saying words of thanksgiving, says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter is correct in confessing his sin. Many, upon having received such a miraculous catch of fish, would brag about how they caught so many fish. They would rejoice in filling a photo album, posting it on Facebook, and bragging to the world. Many might even claim about how they deserve such a great catch and how great they are in comparison to the rest of humanity. But not so Peter. Convicted by the law, he knew his guilt. Without understanding the gospel, Peter asked Jesus to leave his presence. Now, if God had only given us the law, we would all stand before God condemned as Peter was feeling. We would all want to do as Peter did, which would be to ask God to leave our presence. For without the gospel, we would all remain in our sin and there's nothing that we could do to change it. Our course, when we run, when we finish our race here on earth, we would breathe our last and we would die condemned without the gospel. But God did not just give us the the law, but instead he gave us also the gospel. He, recognizing that Adam and Eve could not reconcile themselves to God for the sin that they had committed, the very sin that they would pass on from generation to generation, promised to send his only begotten son our Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to bear our every last sin in his own body, to die, making the ransom payment for our sin, to redeem us from that which we could not redeem ourselves, to cancel out all debt of sin, to purify us of all unrighteousness, and to cover us with the very righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though our sins are like scarlet, we shall be as white as snow. As far as the east is from the west, so far has our Father in heaven removed our sin from us. When Peter, James, and John went with Jesus up to the Mount of Transfiguration, they heard the voice of God the Father. In fear, they fell on their faces. But when they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus only. It is only through Jesus that we can have access to God. It is only through Jesus that we can escape eternal death. For only Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly and offered his innocent blood as the ransom payment for the sins of the world. And so only through Jesus are we credited now with keeping the law and declared to be righteous, justified. And so what we can do when our Lord comes before our presence is we can stand. We can, when Jesus returns, look up and lift up our heads because our redemption is drawing nigh. We can come before our Lord and confess our sin. And instead of saying, depart from me, we say with the Emmaus disciples, stay with us, we draw near to Jesus' unbended knee, saying with the Syrophoenician woman, Lord, help me. And soon we will approach him at the altar to receive the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. We come as God's family, for we are adopted into his family, adopted by God through the waters of holy baptism. We recognize now, that God has elevated us to that wondrous status of being declared children of God with Jesus as our brother. And so we desire to come into our Lord's presence. We remember our baptisms as we daily confess our sin to the Lord. We read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest his saving word. We receive the body and blood of Christ in the Lord's Supper frequently, for through these means, Christ our Lord is present. He comes to us and he blesses us. Peter serves as, an, an, as an, an amazing example when he had said, At your word, I will do it. For God's word is truth, and the Lord helps us and sanctifies us by the truth of that word. Jesus absolved Peter when he said to him, Do not be afraid we are absolved by jesus when we hear our pastor's voice speaking words of absolution to us as we do at the beginning of the divine service we hear of this absolution when the sacrament is lifted before our eyes and the words the peace of the lord be with you always we are invited as his as guests of Christ to come before Him and receive this most wondrous meal. We know that these words are true. They are the words of absolution, as valid and certain even in heaven as if Christ our dear Lord dealt with us Himself. Our gospel lesson features many miracles. Peter at the Word of God doing it, Christ absolving Peter, the wondrous catch of fish, but then that closes with one more miracle. Jesus calls this sinner, Peter, to be a disciple, along with James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Peter brings his boat to land, and he leaves everything, and he follows Jesus. Jesus. Peter doesn't first cash in on all those fish to secure his retirement or make a name for himself through a large contribution to a charity. But instead, he leaves everything to follow Jesus. For Peter did not lose anything. Instead, by faith, he gained everything. For there is nothing in this life worth comparing to what we have in Christ, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and salvation. No riches will buy us those things, just as no riches will buy happiness or contentment. Peter's true joy was found in Christ his Savior, and he is our joy as well. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.